0: What's the big deal Feel what you wanna feel Say what you wanna say You're gonna die one day
1: For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? In both those cases that definitely reinforced my sense that, you know, when the shit gets serious, don't try to be clever.
2: Welcome back to the Grimerica show guys. Where we got a few new gadgets, a new studio again, just like the fourth one.
0: It's just a new table
2: and a new de- and a new desk, new yeah. table, new desk. Yeah new instruments graham surprised us with
0: instruments musical Devices. gadgets, yeah
2: instruments they're all instruments
0: so we have dr christopher ryan coming on the show today just before we forget to mention that
2: yeah chris ryan phd uh we've been trying to book him for quite a while now and then it just kind of came up last minute we had the chance to do it so we jumped right into it and uh, of course we had rpj join us for i think that's the first interview rpj joined us for actually
0: I think so, yeah. Dr. Dr. That's a good Doctifer? one, eh? Dr. For? Dr. Ryan oh, wrote uh, Sex at Dawn, awesome book, about uh, our sexuality and our, our uh, the history of anthropological sexual stuff.
2: Yeah, man, a <laughs> bestseller. But, yeah. uh, and he's just a really fucking super interesting guy. But super interesting, fucking, he's got crazy stories. Yeah, a few of which we'll go into a little yeah, later. Totally. And it looks like we've got our first fucking actual. Uh, we're we're definitely giving away money bomb.
0: Yeah, we, we got the money bomb happening for sure. So yeah. somebody's gonna get a hundred bucks.
2: We've made enough to give away a hundred bucks. Yeah, that's all we've made. So actually, yeah, we're not really st- gonna get much. <laughs> yeah, don't stop now because we're only at the minimum payout, which means we will get nothing. Yeah. Which is fine. I mean, it is what it is. We're building a thing here. Once we give one of you fuckers a hundred bucks, it'll probably, and the other rest of you get greedy.
0: I hope so. So the money bomb is, is just, just us explain it quickly. It's a way to contribute to the show. And we give, we gift half that money back, but Darren and I decided to make it a minimum of a hundred. So basically if we got like 150 in donations, we'd still give a hundred back to somebody. We just want to make it worth it. So we've reached that point now in April, and then it'll start again in May.
2: Yeah, so I think I'll have I'll put in everyone's email address, and I'll have my uh, my oldest daughter. I'll pick them one out of the hat. Maybe we'll record it, and uh, that'll be it. Someone will win.
0: Yeah, so if you want to contribute, you can go to grimerica.ca and hit the money bomb page. Uh, simple instructions there, but basically you yeah. don't need to pay any money. You can send a postcard to the PO box or send a picture of our flyer
2: in a busy location.
0: He yeah. Or and a he,
2: super cool spot. Sp- yeah,
0: yeah. You can email that in. And you can also subscribe and then Darren gives you like a Grimerica email address. Yeah. We got and a couple the, of those already.
2: Yeah, we got a few Grimericans. That's we a take good idea over our, our uh speaking of new Grimericans, actually we got um Moldova. Is that what it was? I think so, yeah. Yeah, Moldova.
0: Country of Moldova.
2: I think that's like border in Ukraine or something maybe.
0: So welcome. Moldovians.
2: Yep, and it's not a hegemony anymore.
0: You don't like that word?
2: It's a confederation.
0: Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. That sounds so civil warish, though.
2: Yeah, but isn't it like this? Isn't Star Trek a confederation?
0: Uh, no, it's the f- federation.
2: federation. Uh, nice yeah, try. Maybe the confederation is fucked up, actually. No, well, maybe not.
0: What's I mean. the What's the one of the light that with the light workers and all that? the uh? Confederation of Light or something like that. What's that one? We'll
2: stick with hegemony for now.
0: Yeah, okay. Anyways, that that, that uh, brings it to like 87 countries around the world, so glad to have some new listeners. Yep, in
2: new countries. Uh, how's Spam Graham going? I oh, think- yeah, before we get off of that, we got our uh, a new top donation. 33.33. From-
0: the magic number. <laughs>
2: So that's uh, that's the highest we've ever got. So thank big thanks to Gitmo Yoho.
0: Yeah, he sent an email in too. He was saying uh, he heard about us from the No Agenda. He loves the podcast, and we deserve some magic number karma, thus the 33.33 donation, our biggest yet. <laughs> that That gets us actually into the money bomb. So thanks, Gitmo. He says, I really enjoy the guests you guys get and the dynamic of the interviews. It's a very eclectic mix of experts and questions. I envisioned you guys in a room asking off the wall questions, then hitting mute while you snicker at each other. And the guests thinking to themselves, did they really just fucking ask that? Lots of fun. So I was kind of freaking out there. I thought maybe you had like access to my Skype cam or something like that. Oh, yeah. Watching us like snicker.
2: <laughs> there's, been, there's been a few of those.
0: Yeah. Usually we, we don't have time to
2: mute it, but. No, we won't go into details. No,
0: that's our little but secret. There's
2: been a couple of that have brought a boat, couple. So.
0: Yeah. Blowing us away. So, Hey, I want to also mention his, uh, his UFO sighting. Can I read that out here?
2: Yeah, you bet. Uh, it'll take over for quarter of the week.
0: No, just no I got you. those two. So he's, he's saying, <laughs> I've got two this week from one guy, two separate quotes from one guy, but this is Gitmo's Yoho, Gitmo's Yoho's uh, UFO sighting.
2: Gitmo's Yoho's? Gitmo Yoho?
0: So he says that he's going to prove he's being truthful because he's saying that he likes the way we disarm our guests and the subject matter. He wants to share his UFO story with us. He says, this is real, though it's probably similar to 99% of the ones you've heard. So he says, back about 17 years ago, I was in line at a haunted hayride in a little town called Smithfield, PA. It was dark about 8 p.m. in October, and me and a friend of mine were on dates with our respective girlfriends. There's not a lot of urban lighting here as the hayride is adjacent to huge swaths of game lands and state forests, both in V-Dub, dub, V-Dub, v W-V, W-V. <laughs> West Virginia and Pennsylvania. V-Dub. So he says...
2: <laughs> W-V.
0: W-V. <laughs> Must be West Virginia, right? I don't know. I'm not up on my states. Anyways. It was clear out that night, and at one point I looked up, like I sometimes do, to try to find satellites for shits and gigs, as we say around here. I thought I spotted one and showed my friend. But it turns out it was actually looked like five satellites moving in a V-pattern, with one tiny pinpoint light in the middle, flanked by two on either side, but moving very slowly the way satellites do. They were moving from north to south, south to north. Now, the next part of my story is what everyone says about their sightings, but this is a thousand percent true. Suddenly and instantly, the five tiny lights increased speed to about three times the original speed and just disappeared on the horizon. We both saw this and said, look at that. But they were so small that our girlfriends and anyone else listening couldn't find them before they were gone. They did not blink, were not colored, and they made no sound at all. But what I remember most of all is my reaction. It wasn't religious, and it wasn't mind blowing. I just looked at my friend, shrugged, and went on with my life. Other than the fact that I remember vividly that day, nearly seventeen years ago, it really hasn't affected me much. Other than from that day forth, I believed in air quotes in UFOs.
2: That's a good one. I, I like. Uh, it's interesting that they were going north to south because that's north, south a, to north. Either way, that's a, <laughs> either way. It's that's a hard orbit, right? Oh. Uh, East-West orbit or whatever fucking is easy to go with the world. I'm pretty sure it's hard. Remember there's that fucking Black Knight thing or whatever they call oh, it. Oh, yeah, the that, Black
0: Knight satellite. That's
2: what's so weird about it is it's on the hmm. polar orbit. It sounds like How do you fucking pull that off, man? You got to like, and then get it going. Hmm. Oh, that's tricky.
0: Yeah, I don't know. But I, I like that sighting. It's not too normal. I mean, there's a ton of triangle sightings out there. It reminds me of one of those. Or like right. the Phoenix Lights. Sort of that shape.
2: Yeah, it's, well, it's even similar to mine, sort of, except I only seen one dot.
0: Anyways, it's great to hear another sighting and to talk about it yeah, on Yeah, great
2: for the feedback. Big thanks. Uh, Gitmo, of course, is our, who provided our jingle for the
0: UFO, uh, UFO
2: quote. quote of the week. So, any, Oh, yeah, and then if any of you other guys out there are handy, you know, send something down. If you think there's something we should have a jingle for, just fuck send it over and we'll uh, probably use it up.
0: For sure. But, it, like, I'd like one for RPG coming on. Like, you know, when we do an intro for RPG?
2: Uh, yeah, J-Rod was working on one of those, uh, actually, remember? Any more spam grabs?
0: Um, no, I got something else, though.
2: Sweet. Let's hear it.
0: I've got some good news.
2: YouTube, YouTube trolls?
0: No, I've got good news from Thrive. You know how they send out their email about good news? So I'm just going to read some good news headlines for you right here. Oh. Okay. The Keshe Foundation and QEG have publicly released what they claim are working plans for free energy devices. Monsanto is ordered to stop making false advertising claims about GMOs in South Africa. Bright Farms, a produce supply chain revolution locally grown on the supermarket roof. I know the No Agenda guys wouldn't like that. They say there's rats going to be coming around the buildings if you grow food on a roof, but... Uh, Generation Gap, wind takes big lead over nuclear in China. Really? Yeah.
2: I heard, you, didn't Japan say, fuck it, they're turning their nukes back on? I don't know. Good for them.
0: Hernando County in Florida refuses to add toxic fluoride to their water. They've already taken that out of Calgary's water system. I made a comment to I'm that about fluoride to my dentist. What?
2: i fluoride.
0: Really? Yeah.
2: Fucking drink that shit up. No, I'm not. Pro-fluoride? Who's pro-fluoride? Is there anybody anymore? My dentist. I'm just about to tell
0: you the story. So how long has it been since you've put fluoride in your teeth like that little, uh, in that little basket thing? Oh, I
2: don't know.
0: it's been years for me, right? Being in from Vancouver, obviously the dentists don't use fluoride anymore. My dentist gets, I go, uh, why are we using fluoride now? And they give me special fluoride toothpaste. And I'm like, haven't you heard about the, the bad effects of fluoride? Like Calgary even took it out of their water and he made some kind of excuse. And he's like... Like, look at me like I'm fucking crazy. Fucking hippie. Me? Yeah. <laughs> uh. Corrupt judge sentenced to 30 years in prison for jailing innocent children and kids for cash scheme.
2: What's oh. that? Private prison buy-offs or something?
0: I don't know. I'm just reading headlines here. Just to give you an idea, some, there's some good news out there.
2: That's good news? That a judge is sending people to jail for money?
0: It's good news he got caught. Yeah. Hey. Anytime somebody that's corrupt like that gets caught, it's a bonus, right? Sure. Okay. This is another one for the no agenda guys. Open the floodgates, Indiana becomes first state to scrap common core. Really?
2: Yeah. Nice. They
0: Mike did. Mike Adams, the health ranger, sees three imminent victories for humanity. The fall of marijuana prohibition, mandatory GMO labeling, and mercury free vaccines.
2: I'm not a really vaccine. We're not a big vaccine people maybe you are i guess i might get my tetanus again but i'm not a huge vaccination guy
0: so do you think that the legalization of of pot is is going to help dull the population i I saw my email from coast to coast come in today and and they were talking about uh this guy who was who was claiming that uh that's one of the reasons why legalization of marijuana is going to happen he says He says, the next stage of their plan is about to happen, the legalization of marijuana nationwide, which could create a more dulled and manageable population, he inferred, in a very short amount of time, three to five years. You're not going to recognize this country, and the people in power are going to stop pretending that it's democratic. No. You don't think so?
2: No. But it's not fucking... Has this guy ever smoked weed? It's not like, whoa, man. There's just people fucking sleeping in the streets. and
0: But you don't think people would just forget about protesting and like kind of no, just. Think
2: they'd, I think you'd see more of it. Yeah.
0: I yeah. was wondering what you'd think about that.
2: I think you'd see more of it. More people would be taking time to read and shit like that. You get more involved in whatever they're doing. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Or but they'll just get baked and watch cartoons. Why they'll they just too?
0: forget what they read two seconds after they read it.
2: Does that happen to me?
0: It happens to me too. The amount we retain from reading is just fucking horrible. I do all right. They say it's like five or 10% or something like that.
2: Yeah. I don't think I'm 10%, maybe seven and a half. <laughs> Average.
0: Did you hear about the new discovery?
2: No. I figure, I uh, get this. So I figure, you know, the whole singularity, Kurzweil, all that shit. Yeah. I think that's all bullshit. And it's just fucking a viral marketing campaign for Transcendence. It's all going to slowly come out of the bag. Because remember before they were talking, there was going to be, I can't remember, but now like lately they switched over to the, like for the last year, the big thing has been, you know, before that we're going to do uploading consciousnesses to computers. And then that's basically the spiel of Transcendence.
0: That now, makes no sense to me at all though.
2: Now it's all going to go the, away. The yeah, Kurzweil... Gotcha.
0: Oh, you're joking? I don't know. Because the Kurzweil transhumanism thing's been going on for decades. So how can that all be this thing for the movie Elaborate transcendence? Yeah. for the
2: movie transcendence. No,
0: guy. That's not... Uh, don't figure? No. Movies we'll, don't make enough for those types of schemes. We'll see. Time will tell. I'll tell you more of what it's about. It's about that, just like when anything becomes a Hollywood movie, it discounts the reality of it completely. They can sort of say, that will never happen. That's just a movie. You know Uh, what I'm saying? So maybe that's what's happening. That transcendence thing will be like, no, that could never happen when really, Kurzweil's just about to get uploaded.
2: And take over the world? Yeah. I'm going to watch that one. But
0: nobody will believe it.
2: I don't believe it. Hmm. What if they just upload him and then he just fucking disappears? (laughs) Poof. (laughs) He turns into like a, a fucking circuit board. He's just an inanimate something where he can just like listen, but not do anything.
0: Isn't that kind of what the movie's about?
2: I don't know. I haven't seen it.
0: Yeah, we should see that.
2: Oh, in the movie, I'm pretty sure he fucking he can control everything and launch missiles. Eventually, though,
0: I, I think it takes him a while for his, for him to take control. But
2: I'm all over that. Oh yeah, and then we we're gonna have the Skype voicemail too. So it'd be cool if you guys uh, call that fucking uh, maybe tell us some cool stories or leave us a message. Leave us a message. Tell how do, us do the they call? How off. do they call that? I don't know, I think you just uh, go cool. on Skype, and on you should Sc- be able to just search Grimerica.
0: And then just leave a message?
2: And then it should be a leave a message, yeah. Okay, cool. So yeah, we'll have that. Uh, Spam
0: Darren through that, please.
2: Yeah, we'll play a bunch back if we get a few, tell us creepy stories and shit.
0: Uh, and then the, I
2: guess the other big news is we got uh, our buddy Joe has come on board to help us out with the... Uh, day-to-days in the fucking show so welcome aboard to joey he's not here today but he'll be here i think from here on out Um uh, just kind of running the gear maybe chiming in from time to time and on that note we're going to introduce the uh ask a American i don't know if that's what we're going to call it what do you want to call it i don't know man anyway you guys can uh email joe at producer at com uh crazy questions and he's gonna fucking we're not gonna get any prep and he's gonna fucking put us on the spot to answer them and we'll see who fares better
0: wow kind of like a little competition there
2: yeah all righty and there's no saying you don't know we get we get no prior notice and we're not allowed to say we don't know if we don't know we just gotta bullshit
0: yeah it sounds good
2: yeah
0: i'm not very good at bullshitting though so it'll be hard for me to say i don't know
2: and then yeah maybe and then that could be the next thing is maybe i can call your bullshit that's bullshit
0: so there's good feedback on your mobile site too, I want to say. So thanks oh, yeah. for doing that. Did we even mention that yet? I don't know, but you fixed the mobile site. So you can actually get to the, can you get to the money bomb to the mobile yeah, site now? Yeah, you can now? get to everything. All right, thanks, buddy. Yeah,
2: Actually, that reminds me, I wanted to uh, just search for the email here so I can make sure I get everything right. Because I, uh, it was actually uh, Wayne Darnell from, um, where is it? Darnell dot com. He's a web and graphic designer. So if you guys have any uh, design needs or anything like that, it's um, so it's D A R N E L L D I G I T A L L I N K dot com. Uh, but Graham will have that in the show notes anyway. But big thanks to Wayne. He's a listener. Uh, he had kind of emailed me before and said if we, I think we must have been talking about needing some design help in the past. Anyway, he had emailed so. I just emailed him, and uh, fuck, he, I had the problem solved, I think, within an hour.
0: Right on. Thanks, buddy. My Uncle Dave uh, needs some help with that, too, so I'll I'll, uh, I'll, send your information his way.
2: Yeah, big thanks. It's nice when the uh, listeners help out. We, we've been getting quite a bit of that lately, so it makes our job a little easier, makes uh, the show a little better.
0: Yeah, it totally, it totally makes it all worth it. If you hear some good feedback from people, it really does, because this is just what we like to do, chat about crazy topics in an open-minded way. Can I talk about that discovery now? What discovery? On Thursday, April 17th, NASA announced the discovery of... NASA? Kepler. What do you mean? What's NASA? How do you say it? NASA? NASA?
2: NASA? NASA. Oh, God. Uh,
0: the discovery of Kepler-186F, as in Frank... Frank Grimes? An exoplanet with the greatest likelihood of containing life. A team of researchers published findings related to the discovery of Kepler 186f in the journal Science. The team identified the planet using data collected by NASA's Kepler Space Telescope. Although some previously.
2: Does it say how far?
0: Yeah, I'm getting to it. Although some previously discovered planets reside in their star's habitable zones, those planets are all at least 40% larger than Earth. This latest discovery marks the first time scientists have found a rocky, Earth-sized planet that potentially has the necessary conditions for liquid water to exist at the surface. And because water is a necessary ingredient for life as we know it, astrobiologists are excited by the potential for life on Kepler-186f. With a size similar to Earth, this exoplanet, which is located approximately 500 light-years away, could have a rocky surface like Earth and maybe even a similar atmosphere. Thomas Barkley... An astrophysicist who analyzes exoplanet hunting data for NASA Ames Research Center is a co-author of the research paper published in Science. He explains, being in the habitable zone does not mean we know this planet is habitable. The temperature on the planet is strongly dependent on what kind of atmosphere the planet has. Kepler-186f can be thought of as an Earth cousin rather than an Earth twin. It has many properties that resemble Earth. Four other planets reside in the Kepler-186 system. These planets orbit a red dwarf star half the size of the mass of our sun. Red dwarf stars account for approximately 70% of the stars in the Milky Way galaxy. Here's the summary. Kepler-186f is the first validated Earth-sized planet in the habitable zone of another star. The right size its only 10% larger than Earth. The right distance from its star, a 130-day orbit. And this discovery confirms that Earth-sized planets exist in the habitable zone of other stars.
2: We didn't already know that?
0: I think I knew that. No, no, not Earth. Most of them are 40% bigger than Earth, right?
2: I don't think that's a big deal, though, is it?
0: I don't think so, but I'm just reading what the scientists are saying.
2: Is astrobiology, like, you can be, that's weird, you can be an astrobiologist when When there's no astrobiological things we've found. (laughs) How is that not any more fucked up than researching UFOs? Why is that, you know? what? what where, where's the line?
0: There's probably more evidence for UFOs.
2: Yeah, this is true. So, uh, I figure I solved the uh, Valentich. Valentich? Valentich? I was telling you about it already, but...
0: Why? Because you think it wasn't you that came up with the idea he was flying upside down.
2: Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, yeah, That's I'm going with that now. Because I was talking to my cousin who flies... Uh, flies uh, and the Air Force flies F-18s and all sorts of things. And he said it's actually fucking, you know, he knew a couple people throughout his career that had died, crashed the same way. Really? Eh? Because he said, your plane's pulling so much Gs. I think that little Cessna he was flying will pull like 3.8 Gs. It was like, oh, you, you know, you, you could be upside down and pulling yourself back under into the ocean. And you would still think you were climbing because you'd still be pulled back into your seat the same way as you would if you were going up.
0: Huh. I thought I heard the the opposite to that too.
2: Yeah. Well, I trust my cousin more. Yeah. Than most, yeah. Yeah. Most people. Somebody
0: else talking about another pilot yeah, exactly. or something. Yeah. Yeah.
2: He said no. He's like, if it was dark and you lost your instruments, fucking, you could easily get turned around and not know.
0: But what about all this stuff about him seeing an object and I was following him and all that? Like, how do you explain oh, all that? I don't the... know.
2: I was looking at some pictures and it looks like a lot of those Cessnas have, like, green cockpit lighting. I'm wondering. You don't if think he's...
0: he'd realize that the, I don't know. Who knows? the green is like, object is flying is like, like, like You're
2: not in a fucking full glass canopy, right? You've got wings, so you're, like, looking out the windshield. So maybe he's watching... When he says it's circling him, maybe he's watching it fucking, you know, ride up and down the waves and the water below and then he goes to get it.
0: Huh. Maybe. And the metallic scraping sound that was heard?
2: Well, that's the one thing I didn't get to yet. I wanted to actually find, see if I could find some other recordings of, uh, uh, you know, maybe an aircraft hitting water. Ah. see what it comes up yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. That's a good idea. If that
0: turns yeah. out the Somebody same. must have done that. We should talk Ufology. to some of our favorite ufologists. About that. See if yeah. it's feasible? Yeah.
2: That's my take anyway. I didn't think, you know, I really didn't believe that you wouldn't be able to tell you're flying upside down.
0: Yeah. That doesn't make sense to me, but I'm not a pilot.
2: He says, if he said, because in order, I don't know about a Cessna, but like the planes, he flies, he's like, my minimum speed is fast enough that I'm in the back of my fucking chair. Whether I'm upside down, right side up, it doesn't matter. Cause you're going forward so fast. And he's like, when you do maneuvers, especially he said, even in the clouds, sometimes you can fucking, I mean, a Cessna doesn't go near as fast as an F 18, but the fact that.
0: What about the fact you're almost falling out of your chair if you're upside down? Like the seatbelt's no, actually. Not,
2: because you're still going forward too fast. It doesn't even matter. It's kind of like when you can spin a bucket of water around your arm.
0: Right, right. Okay. Mm. Yeah, okay. Because of the G's.
2: Because of the G's, the G's. baby. G's.
0: G <laughs> funk, baby. Can I get your, uh, your, your take on synchronicity scale here? Sure. Yeah. So we've been communicating with Steve Volk, trying to get him on the show, right? Yeah. And uh, for, you know, for a while, like, you know, I've been a fan of his since we started the podcast. So for some reason, now is the time for us to try and get him on the show, right? And uh, I sent you an email this morning about this afterlife conference in Portland in June, right? Yes. And I joined this local meetup group called the Calgary Alien Conspiracy Truth Meetup. I've seen that too. Yeah. So I, I've been enjoying that. I've been writing notes with guys on the thing. Right. I think I'm going to have to miss the first meeting, but so this guy writes a note. So today I'm in the shower thinking I better email Steve Volk back. Right. Cause I want to see if he's going to still come on the show in a couple of days. Right. Yeah. So I get back to my computer after I jump on the shower and there's a note from this guy named Chris in the meetup. And he's like, uh, I'll be coming with some food. Nod. He says, starts talking about the work of Joseph P. Farrell. Right. I'm thinking, oh, this is cool, right? All that uh, Nazi UFO stuff. And he's like, I also just finished Steve Volk's Fringeology: How I Tried to Way to Explain Away the Unexplainable and Couldn't. He says it's rather tame in many regards, but an interesting exploration of the interface between out there material and the mainstream view. And, oh, one thing I don't see on the list is near-death experiences and the range of questions that raises for the materialist view of life and death or reincarnation for that matter.
2: So, what, do you want a synchronicity on that? Yeah. Um, No, I'll give you a three and a half.
0: Oh, fuck, that's it? That's it. After I was, so, I was just about to email Steve Volk and then this guy talks about Steve Volk and I just forwarded you the email about near-death experiences and... Yeah, uh, no. no. Really? Three and a half is still pretty good, though. Out of ten. Out of 10. Yeah. I thought it was at a five, like <laughs> no, five stars. It's out of 10. That's pretty lame then. You're no man. fun.
2: Better luck next time. Hey, if the scale was easy, then we'd just be.
0: Well, what, what, what's gonna it going to take for like what, what a seven or it a eight? Nine?
2: It's got to be a real synchronicity. Not...
0: That was, I did email Steve Volk today, right after he mentioned Steve Volk. Like, when have we talked about Steve Volk in the last year? Like, not that much, right?
2: Yeah, but we've been talking about him lately.
0: Yeah, that's the point.
2: No, it's not. No. You know, I'm thinking about taking it down to a three.
0: Okay. All right. Let's leave it at a three and a half.
2: Three and a half. Yeah. I think the YouTube, uh, the one in the garage was probably a 3.6 even. What do you think?
0: I don't know which one you're talking about.
2: Oh, had, I can't remember. It was something to do <laughs> If with... you can't
0: remember, it drops in half.
2: Is it? Yeah. Is that like a rule?
0: It's a new rule now. Yeah. For Graham's profound UFO quote of the week. No, I decide when it's time. Uh. (laughs) It sounds like it's time for Graham's profound UFO quote of the week. Yeah. Okay, so this, I'm going to say, read two quotes and they're from the same dude. Who's the dude? Is that okay? You want me to tell you now?
2: Oh, I'll guess.
0: Okay. I have frequently been asked why a person of my background, a former chief of the defense staff, and a former chairman of the NATO military committee, why I think there is a cover-up of the facts about UFOs. I believe governments fear that if they disclose those facts, people would panic. I don't believe that at all. There is a serious possibility that we are being visited by people from outer space. It behooves us to find out who they are, where they come from, and what they want. That's Lord Admiral Hill Norton, GCB, Chief of Defence Staff, Ministry of Defence, Britain, Chairman Military Committee of NATO, and Admiral of the Fleet, Member of House of Lords.
2: That was that. No, oh, that was only one, right? Got yeah. another one still? Yeah.
0: Same dude. Same dude. What's his name? Rothenberger? <laughs> Admiral Lord Hill Norton. Oh yeah. The evidence that there are objects which have been seen in our atmosphere and even on terra firma that cannot be accounted for either as a man-made object or as any physical force or effect known to our scientists seems to be overwhelming. A very large number of sightings have been vouched for by persons whose credentials seem to me unimpeachable. It is striking that so many have been trained observers, such as police officers and airline or military pilots. Their observations have, in many instances, been supported either by technical means, such as radar, even more convincingly, by interference with electrical apparatus of one sort or another. That's from Admiral Lord Hill Norton, GCB, Chief of Defense Staff, Ministry of Defense, Britain, Chairman, Military Committee of NATO. Admiral of the Fleet, member of the House of Lords.
2: Jesus, what a title. <laughs> I want a title like that.
0: Sir Presenting! Sir of Grimerica.
2: <laughs> yeah. One day. Maybe one day we'll be knights of the No Agenda table. For sure. I suppose we should uh, get ready to jump into Chris Ryan here. For those of you who don't know him, like we Graham had mentioned earlier, he wrote Sex at Dawn. Uh, a lot of a lot of fucking cool stories a pretty cool take on life
0: tangentially speaking his yeah, podcast, podcast. Yeah. yeah
2: that's a real good podcast yeah, yeah. He's, he's a regular on staple in yeah. and Trestle all the time and an all-around interesting cat with some cool stories so we get into a few of them here and uh yeah red's in for the intro or not sorry for the intro for the interview
0: yeah yeah it's really good
2: all right guys we'll take a quick break and uh jump into the chris ryan chat Okay, guys, we got a special guest in Gramerica here tonight. Uh, we managed to get Chris Ryan from De- Tangentially Speaking to join us, so uh, we're pretty excited about that. Uh, how's it going tonight, Graham?
0: Hey, Darren. I'm doing good, buddy. We've got Red Pill Junkie here with us, too. And uh, you'll, hear, uh, you'll hear Chris Ryan on his own podcast, Tangentially Speaking, where he chats with all sorts of fascinating folks. He's also a staple on Joe Rogan's experience and Duncan Trussell's family hour. He's a true globetrotter, psychologist, and now author of one, maybe two books. We'll see about that. And he's hit the mainstream right in the balls with his best-selling book, "Sex at Dawn," which explores the depths of our sexual past and our current sexual suppression and many contradictions. It's a pleasure to be chatting with you tonight. Welcome to Gray America,
1: Chris. Thanks, man. I never never thought of that book hitting the mainstream in the balls before, but I like the image.
2: Yeah, so now you can officially add the Grimerica stamp,
1: stamp to your passport. All right, beautiful. I've been to Grimerica.
2: So I suppose uh, right off the bat, I actually we f- I found out about you through uh, through Stanley Krippner. We had him on the show um, oh, one of our one of our first episodes. An absolutely fascinating guy, and I've always been kind of curious. Of course, after through him i listened to him on joe rogan heard you and now i'm a huge fan of yours and your podcast i'm just curious as the story of how you and stanley came to be such good friends
1: oh man uh, i just saw stanley a couple days ago actually he was here in portland at a anthropology of conference uh, anthropology of consciousness conference oh yeah, pretty interesting. Um, what happened with Stanley was uh, I was in graduate school at Saybrook Graduate School. I think it was called Saybrook University at the time. They changed their name. And I sort of vaguely knew who Stanley was. I knew he was the big shot professor there and had published a lot of work and and. and you know had done a lot of interesting stuff with mythology and shamanism and telepathy parapsychology all sorts of really funky stuff um, but I hadn't really researched him yet and I was there it was the first it was like an initiation a weekend you know where you get to meet everybody and all that and I was at breakfast and I sat next to this dude and I, I didn't know it was Stanley at the time it was just this <laughs> old guy and we were talking and He asked me about, you know, my life, and I told him about all the traveling, and that I was living in Spain and doing this and doing that, and we just chatted for about half an hour. And then a couple hours later, I got a note saying, Professor Kripner would like to see you in his office, and I was like, oh, wait, that's that big professor guy. So I went there, and oh, well, you're that guy. I didn't know it. And he was like, uh, he said, what are you doing in September? And this was probably June or July. And I said, I don't know why. He said, well, I'm going to, to Brazil for two weeks. If you'd like to come, um, you know, I could get your, your trip paid for and, you know, it would be free if you've got the time. And I was like, hell yeah, man, let's go. So uh, I didn't know him at all, but I just agreed to go on this trip because I'd never been to Brazil and thought it would be fascinating. And within, you know, a day, we were fast friends, and we have been ever since. And that was probably, like, 92, 93, something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so, I mean, that trip was incredible. I mean, we went to an ayahuasca ceremony. We went to Candoble, and, and, uh, you know, a religious ceremony in Brazil. We saw Brazilian psychics. You know, we just, like... Traveling with him is not like traveling with anybody else, let me tell you. <laughs> so then after that, as long as I was in grad school, which, which dragged out a long time, <laughs> I have to say, uh, we traveled together all over the world. We've probably been to 25 or 30 countries together, India, Morocco, Germany, uh, Mexico, all over the place, in, including the uh, prehistoric cave art in Lascaux, France. Oh, you actually got to go in? Yeah, thanks to Stanley, you know, normal people aren't allowed to go in, but he wrote to the, uh, the Minister of Culture of France, and they were familiar with his work, so they arranged for the two of us to go in. Wow, that must have been something else. It was pretty crazy. Yeah, very, very interesting day. So you just saw him recently at
0: this Anthropologic uh, Consciousness uh, Conference?
1: Yeah, Anthropology of Consciousness. How, yeah. how, how was that? I was good. It was good. He gave a presentation and uh, I was only able to go to, you know, his his session because we're in the middle of moving house. So we took a break and went down just to hang out with him a bit. But it's always great to see him. He's, well, you guys have talked to him, you know what he's like. He's a conduit to uh, so many different worlds, you know. I mean, this is a guy who hung out with Alan Watts and Timothy Leary and, you know, just like. (laughs) You know, you know, he met Jimi Hendrix. He, the Grateful he, Dead and all Yeah, that. he was like, you know, the in-house psychologist of the Grateful Dead for <laughs> years. So, uh, you know, he... You guys might not even know who Angie Dickinson is, but she was like the super sexy actress in the 70s. And Stanley has a great story about running into her naked coming out of the shower. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no. oh.
1: So, yeah, it's... I mean, the longer... The more time you spend with Stanley, the more amazing stories you hear. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I've known him for whatever, 20, 20 years, I guess now. Jeez, hmm. something like that. And, um, yeah, I haven't begun to scratch the surface of all the experiences he's had.
0: So if, if you end up uh, doing this podcast, we've heard you talk about, about all your travels. Uh, I guess he'll be, he'll be a staple in a lot of those stories
1: yeah yeah I mean I I don't know if I'm gonna do that I I keep I'm wavering on that you know it just feels I keep getting emails from people saying dude tell more travel (laughs) stories you know we Mm want to hear it and but you know my ego rebels at it because I just don't want to be that guy who talks about himself all the time you know but um, it's easier to for some reason it's easier to think about writing it something about telling the story seems I don't don't know I'm working on it we'll see what happens I don't think it would be
3: like that you know I think that uh, the way the reason we are so uh, such fans of tangentially speaking is because we see that whenever you uh, talk about your personal travel stories you use them as an excuse to to expand upon a a bigger bigger idea So if you think of uh, think of it that way, you know, I mean, yes, you will be kind of centering in the stories, but you will it it will be an excuse to discuss a a, a further and furthering of of upon a even deeper, you know, uh, personal theme.
1: Yeah, yeah, well thanks. Thanks for saying that. That that is how I think of them. You know, I guess that's why I remember them, right? Because it's mm-hmm. it's something more than just uh, a story. There's some underlying lesson that I learned or should have learned, you know, or wish I had yeah. learned. Yeah, I mean, and also I I mean, I kind of feel that there is some responsibility to I don't know how to say it. I mean, it, it's it's like so much crazy stuff happens that, on some level, you kind of feel like you need to share it. You yeah. know, it's not mm-hmm. fair to, to to hold on to it. I know that sounds egotistical and weird, but it's it's like it. it I mean, it's kind of like you know when people talk about uh, this book that Casilda and I wrote, you know, and they say, "Oh, you must be so proud." And I think. You know, I know we're not proud. We're we're gratified and we're happy and we're grateful and all that. But you know, I kind the my relationship with Dawn is something like, you know, uh, Michael Jordan's uh, father's relationship with Michael Jordan. Right? If somebody says, "Oh, you must be so proud," it's like, "Well, why would I be proud? He's doing it. He did it." (laughs) You know, there's this separation from it. I guess is what I'm trying to say. So anyway, that's an, enough talking about my ego. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: Let's
1: talk about your ego. I no, was, because oh, sorry, I because no.
3: the the way I see it, uh, I mean the core the core um, moral of the of, of the stories that you have uh, mentioned in, in tangential speaking is um the rewards that you have received from kind of like surrendering yourself to the flow of of life, right? For example, when when, when you were in, in, in prison in, in Alaska and you decided not to bullshit those guys, those inmates, and you were came, came up clean and said, well, I'm here because I stole a sneakers bar, you know, and they <laughs> laughed and they, they yeah. took you under your wing and they said, okay, you're going to be all right. Or that time <laughs> when you lost uh, your back in India, you know, and the guy, the, the hotel manager, was, you know, was trying to uh, prove you, you know, after you finally came clean with him and said, well, you know, I lost my, my bag with all my money, 50000 I don't know, $5,000 or I don't remember the Zoom, you know, and, and, the, and the man returned you the money.
1: Yeah. Wow. You, now, see, you should tell my stories. <laughs> I, I've already told them all. <laughs> Yeah, no you're right. That that in both those cases that definitely reinforced my sense that you know when the shit gets serious don't try to be clever. Mm. You know, because the only way you're going to get out of these situations is if people help you and people aren't going to help you if they think you're lying to them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I uh you're right. That's a that's a lesson that that I've that experience has pounded into my head over and over again. I, you know, I was, um, uh, one of my best buddies I've known since I was 15 years old. And, um, we're, you know, we sort of have always seen ourselves as, uh, Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock Um, he's very rational and careful and, um, super, super smart guy. And I've always been more sort of reckless and crazy and following intuition and all that kind of stuff. And, um, years ago we were, you know, we got together after I'd been away for a couple of years traveling and he said, you know, I finally figured out what you are. I said, Oh, okay. What's that? He said, you're the anti-monk. (laughs) <laughs> you're, you're like a monk, you're in search of uh, spiritual enlightenment. But instead of separating yourself from all the, the, uh, the, the temptations of life in order to find it, you immerse yourself in them. <laughs> <laughs> nice. it's, just, it's like, yeah, okay, that sort of works. So maybe I'll, I'll call it Confessions of the Anti-Monk or something like that. Nice. Perfect. Hey Chris,
2: I was wondering, um, as a self uh, self-proclaimed, like you've uh, admitted to using uh, some psychedelics when you were a younger man, um, something we've explored quite a bit here in Gray America. Um, I was wondering if what you if you think those experiences how they've shaped um, your writing or just in general the the man you've become today.
1: Yeah, no, I I mean, honestly, I I think that. In my personal experience, hallucinogens have been um, an important um, educational aid. And uh, I, I want to be, I'm being careful about how I say this because I don't want to generalize my own experience for other people because for other people, you know, mm-hmm. their experience can be completely different. I think for some personality structures, they can be dangerous They can be harmful if you're, you know, going through, you know, Timothy Leary often talked about set and setting. And I think that's an important thing to understand when you're Mm -hmm. looking at possibly um, having a relationship with hallucinogens. Uh, You guys will know this, but some of the listeners might not be familiar. The set is you know where you are in your life are you in a good place do you feel solid do you feel comfortable with yourself or, are you doing okay and setting is who are you with where are you are you in a bar with loud bad music and lots of drunk people are you in a rock concert are you uh, by a waterfall on a beach you know at the pacific ocean at sunset you know where are you and who are you with are you comfortable with the people around you i think that the thing about hallucinogens is that they demand respect and the minute you stop respecting them they'll fuck you up Mm -hmm. Um, but as long as you do respect them they can um, provide some amazing insights and I think the deepest insight is just how arbitrary uh, this construct that we call reality really is and, you know, I, for me, hallucinogens are sort of like the way I tried to describe the experience to people who've never done it is, is like, you know, right now, if there are an infinite number of of things happening around every one of us. Somebody who's sitting at home listening to this right now, the heater might have just come on, the cat's walking across the the carpet, they hear a dog barking in the distance, their car is going by, there's an airplane overhead. All sorts of stuff's going on, but you ignore 98% of it and just focus on 2%. For me, what happens with hallucinogens is that they take that 2% and they expand it to 15 or 20%. So you can handle a lot more input. And and, And when that happens, it teaches you that what we normally consider reality is really just a tiny fraction of everything that's going on. And once you understand that, once you really experience the fact that what you consider reality is just what your mind is focused on and not what is, then everything changes in life because then you you recognize the the relativity of experience, you know, that and the and the authenticity of experiences other than your own. Something that Joseph Campbell, the great mythologist, called detribalization, right? That you understand that you come from a tribe, and that that tribe has a certain set of beliefs that informs the perspective that that comes with membership in that tribe. And then you say, okay, well, oh, geez, I'm American. I'm a North American, or I'm a Mexican, or I'm an Apache, or I'm whatever I am. An Indian. (laughs) an, An Indian, and I'm at this particular moment in history as well, and I come from this particular family. And and once you see yourself within that context, which I think hallucinogens is very helpful in, in giving you the, the perspective to see yourself that way, then suddenly your perspective gets much bigger because then you're no longer just whatever, you know, the North American, 21st century, whatever it is you are, then mm-hmm. you're a member of something much larger. So I think that's, for me, that's been a really important um, lesson to learn. And once, and, you know, you don't need hallucinogens to learn that. You can learn that from all sorts of things, from uh, martial arts, from travel, from, uh, you know, a spiritual discipline, um, meditation, what have you. We are talking. But- t- Sorry, I was, but once you learn that, then your life is different, and it'll never be the same.
0: Yeah, we were talking to a guy named Thomas Roberts, and he's he's sort of coined the term of all those other things besides entheogens uh, being called mind apps, and then, you mm. know, the... Uh, he talks about how religion will be in the future and it'll be more based on our own personal experiences of enlightenment through things like hallucinogens or these whatever other... Whatever it takes. Yeah, yeah, whatever it takes or these other spiritual practices.
1: Yeah, well, that, that does seem to be the way we're going. And, and you alluded to the book I should have written two years ago. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that. Is is you know it's like a fetus that's been growing inside <laughs> me, and I, it's definitely going to be cesarean section at this point. Um, but one of the things I'm I'm going to deal with in that book is this whole sort of atheism versus you know Christianity fundamentalist the the, the fundamentalists on both sides, in my view, are equally um, yeah mis- misguided. The and right. I mean, I, that that place, the, the thing in Puebla, Mexico, that we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. you know, there was this debate between Deepak Chopra and uh, Richard Dawkins. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was like, you know, uh, a shyster versus an asshole. It was like <laughs> it, it was, there was no wisdom to be had anywhere. It was just ridiculous. So, you know, somewhere between those two guys, I think there's a very uh, valid spiritual, a role for spirituality in our lives. Does, um, and, yeah, go ahead.
0: No, but does it shock you that, that now with this information age, there's more polarization going on? Like, I would have thought we would all come to this uh, sort of middle ground of a common, closer to a common truth. And yet it seems to be spreading away, like things are becoming more polarized.
1: Well, I don't know. I I mean, on the one hand, I think there is something about communicating by way of technology that leads to more polarization. Hmm. You know, I mean, Twitter and email and, uh, you know, we all you know, we're all familiar with the the trolls who say stuff online that they would never say to someone's face. Right. Because, you know, it, it sort of enables a certain kind of coward to be very vocal um, which which leads to a lot of um, uh, polarization, but on the other hand, I do think that there's uh, you know there's a pendulum, there's like a, an inhale, exhale that happens, hmm. and I feel like we're at a point uh, culturally, and I, I could definitely be wrong about this, but it feels like we're at a point culturally where people are weary of this. Uh, polarized debate because they see that it leads to dysfunction and unhappiness. Whether we're talking about politics, right? I mean, the whole American political system is basically collapsed, right? Nothing's getting done. Nothing can get done because there's no compromise, you know, and we see in, in, you know, police forces that are like this thing going on in Albuquerque right now where they kill a dude for, a homeless guy for camping, you know <laughs> oh. the guy's fucking homeless, and you're gonna shoot him because he's sleeping under a tree. What the fuck, man? Hey,
2: you know what's Shh. fucked? I was looking the other day. I, I think it was on Twitter at some of the like suburbs, and I I think it was um, that town in New Jersey where they cut the cops out, Camden, I think. Yeah, and it's like fucking. You would not tell the difference between some of the pictures I was looking at. If that was that, or some fucking slum and any other third world country where they talk about how crime is so rapid. Like you could honestly put those, that picture of uh, Camden, New Jersey beside some other, you know, devastated well, place <laughs> and you'd never know the difference.
1: Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's the thing Americans don't by and large, don't understand what's happened to them, to their country. And, but I think that, that they're starting to figure it out. You know, I think even the, the dudes, you know, screaming, we're number one inside. They know we're not number one. So we, we might not even be in the top 10, you know, depending on what you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I I think that there's a weariness and, and a recognition that what's uh, what's been going on doesn't work anymore. There's a line we used in Sex at Dawn from Arthur Miller, the great playwright who was briefly married to uh, Marilyn Monroe, he said an era can be considered over when it's basic illusions have been exhausted. <laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah.
1: You know? And I, I feel like that really applies to the moment we're living in right now. It's like, yeah. you know, you said six, sex at dawn, you know, kicked to mainstream in the balls. I think the reason that book resonated is because people were like, fuck monogamy doesn't work anymore, man. You know, it's like everybody's divorced. Every, even people aren't divorced. They're unhappy. Yeah. And, you know, it's like what this isn't working, but there, there were no options being presented in mainstream, you know, media or whatever. And but there was a crack in the dam because there was a recognition of like, well, wait a minute, same sex people, you know, they're they have legitimate way of doing things. And wow, I mean, like a lot of these gay guys, they're they're together for twenty years, but they're not monogamous and they're really happy. Wow, what's going on there? You know, so I think there's we're at this moment at a tipping point culturally where we look around and we say, man, nothing's working. You know, the, the political system's fucked. The, you know, the military industrial complex is a joke. The church is full of child molesters The you know,
0: education, big pharma, it goes on and on and on.
1: Exactly. Exactly. You point in you know, it's like what they say, you, you know, you can't throw a stone without hitting, you know, something that's wrong. So yeah i mean that's that really sucks in some ways but in other ways it it makes it a really exciting interesting time to be alive because you don't know what's coming next and we might be alive forever the witnesses <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> about i don't that. are you talking about what cryogenics or the singularity or
3: humanism and all that uh, shit i yeah. was actually
1: segueing rpj
0: yeah yeah rpj's got a question
3: I have a a few questions that I prepared beforehand uh, before I was sure that I could join you guys. You know, I have to apologize. They're a bit long-winded. So here's the first. (laughs) Whenever you get together with Joe Rogan and Duncan Trussell, you inevitably play the part of the pessimist killjoy (laughs) to Joe and Duncan's somewhat naive optimism of the bright future ahead of us. (laughs) Your upcoming book will center on how increasingly detached from reality, and perhaps even unnatural, our modern civilization has become. And you have even wondered out loud if a coming collapse might be just what the human race needs in order to get back to our senses. Interestingly enough, those kinds of ideas, a controlled set of catastrophes as a way to call the current population into a more manageable number, is frequently discussed within the conspiracy theory circles, who view every major global development as part of a grand plan imposed by a secret cabal pulling the strings of corporations and governments. Do you feel it is preposterous to suppose there is indeed a strategy aiming for a depopulation of our planet or our current environmental and social crises are just the inevitable result of a lack of foresight and empathy from the powers that be?
1: Uh, yes, I'm the <laughs> latter. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, no, I you know, it's. If there is a grand strategy to reduce global population, it's been a colossal failure. You know, there, there's, no, uh, there's no evidence that anything is reducing population. It's just going up faster and faster, accelerating. Um, you know, birth rates are going down in some developed countries, but that's because women are educated and people realize it costs – you know, half a million dollars to raise a kid or whatever it is these days. What? Yeah, there's, there's, you know, in studies, I don't know how much it is, $200,000 or something, not counting college, you know? Yeah. So you wanna have a dumb kid who doesn't wanna go to college, I guess. But, <laughs> the, I mean, it's, it's, there are other reasons that people are choosing not to have kids, in other words. Um, but no i don 't see any any conspiracy to reduce population. I wish there were. I wish I did. I see um, just bumbling idiots uh, in charge with very short sighted thinking and um, you know no grand strategy at all so yeah there there might be some uh, you know some commonality between the things that I argue um, and what the conspiracy theorists are talking about, but I wouldn't call it agreement. I would say that uh, there's just some commonalities, okay. And I, and I do, I know I'm the killjoy with, uh, no, 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 only, Uh,
0: only on that one topic. Usually you're the more of the optimist in a lot of ways, I think. So,
1: well, you know, the thing, I think we're all utopians. I I remember Mm. I was talking with them about this. I don't know if we were on air or it was after or whatever, but I think we're all utopians, but in different ways, like I locate, a sort of utopia in the pre agricultural past mm-hmm. Joe locates it in right now yeah. in, in his yeah. life as it is at the moment and Duncan <laughs> sees it in the future yeah that's yeah, good exactly
3: yeah. Yeah.
1: so there is a there's a sort of synergy there
0: I just listened to a sex at dawn uh, yesterday and the day before while I was driving on a drive and uh Um, I understand now why you have that take, like after reading your book and and seeing all the research that you've done on the past, like it really enlightened me on, it gave me a different way to look at uh, our past civilization. And now I kind of understand where you're coming from.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a weird thing because on the one side people are like, Oh dude, you know, you're such a downer. But Mm -hmm. on the other side, I feel like what I'm saying is, wait a minute, you know, this is a really optimistic message because what I'm saying is it doesn't have to be this way. Mm -hmm. You know, we we as a species are capable of something so much cooler than what we're doing. And, uh, you know, I don't want to give away too much of, of what I'm working on, the book I'm working on, but... I'm going to be articulating a very what I think is a very powerful way to think about what's happened to our species Mm -hmm. um, that uh, that that explains why our interests are not being served by civilization. Mm
4: -hmm.
1: You know, we're we're just along for the ride, but we're not running the show. Which is kind of a strange thing, you know, because we keep telling ourselves we're so intelligent, but you were on a runaway train. Yeah. And yeah. it's
0: going to hit, it's gonna hit a, a cliff pretty soon. Pretty soon. So, Red, that kind of leads to that other question you have there about the... Uh...
3: Yeah. Yeah. getting to cool. the second question. So getting back to the issue of a possible social collapse in the coming centuries or even decades, do you think it's possible that previous highly advanced civilizations might have risen in the ancient past only to fall victim of some catastrophe and leave behind a vague trace of scattered myths and legends? Here I'm talking, of Cops about such thing as the infamous legend of Atlantis or the way some alternative Alternative historians interpret the Indian text of the Mahabharata as a conflict in which advanced weaponry such as missiles and even atomic bombs were employed.
1: Well, um, I'm not familiar with with that last uh, argument with the atomic bombs and all that. I would think that Mm. if atomic bombs were employed, that would be evident in, um, you know, sediment.
3: There are Lighten. some people who say that there, there is some evidence in the Indus Valley in places like Mohenjo-Daro and some places that, mm. you know, they find the the, the 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 remains, you know, the the, the fossil, uh, uh, the skeletons of people who live there. And, and the way they are scattered in terrain, it seems to imply that they died, you know, within minutes, if not seconds, you know, so they kind of see, well, maybe it's a very sudden uh, something killed them you know and some people go to the you know people like i don't know georgia sukalos and all the ancient astronauts theorists you know that say well you know maybe something happened
1: yeah well you know i i definitely again it's like i think there's some commonality between my perspective on these things and then some of these um Fingers mm-hmm. that you're talking about But not agreement right Like I of course. in other words There's commonality in the sense that I think there's no question But that our species has Gone through uh, Sudden uh, population Bottlenecks that Were catastrophic um, mm-hmm. For example the, the Toba eruption Of about 70,000 years ago Wiped mm-hmm. out most of the people uh, On earth uh, You know pre- uh, human humanoids, and and most other species as well. It was colossal, huge, sudden uh, explosion of, of the volcano there in Sumatra that changed global temperature, created an ice age, changed um, sea levels. You know all sorts of stuff. Um, and uh, you know there have been meteor strikes and asteroid strikes that have also you know caused sudden death in vast territories. And uh, so, yeah, there's no question that our species has gone through um, serious trauma. In fact, some ecopsychologists psychologists argue that we show all the signs uh, culturally of post-traumatic stress disorder. And mm-hmm. in fact, that's um, a way to explain why we have such a dysfunctional relationship with the planet and, and with each other because we're, you know, as a species, we're suffering from post traumatic stress disorder, some sort of genetic memory. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
3: Yeah, so, I mean, the reason, yeah. so sorry, so, the reason that I propose this question is because it, it occurs to me that um, if something like 9-11 showed us is that maybe the more advanced a civilization uh, becomes, the, the more frail it, it, turns, it turns out to be, you know, to, to sudden changes, you know?
1: Yeah, you're, you might be thinking of uh, anti-fragility, right? Have you read that book?
3: No, not, not
1: yet. Uh, Nassim Talib, I think is his name. He wrote The Black Swan. His, mm-hmm. his, I, I haven't read it I, I just got it A few weeks ago It's He's talking about Setting up social systems And economic systems That are Consciously designed To avoid the fragility That you're talking about That tends to uh, Be a result of uh, Greater sophistication mm-hmm. You know Like your computer Your computer stops working You can't just get a screwdriver And fix it You know It's it's way too sophisticated To To um, to fix easily, and you're fucked, and you are fucked. Yes, or yes. If, if you're
2: in Canada and your fucking heat shuts off in the middle of winter, <laughs> or your gas stops
1: running. Well, you know they'll they're going to solve that problem now that the oil companies can uh, can work in national parks in Canada. You saw that, right? Yeah, that's kind of been. Yeah, you guys. You guys. You're, you're going in the wrong direction up there, but what are you going to do? America, yeah. too. We, we follow America, you guys, because our government wants to be America, too. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, anyway, listen, I, I was just going to say that, that getting back to Red Pill Junkie's question, one of the things that I wanted to point out is that I think that uh, our understanding of the past, now, whether this applies to more advanced civilizations than we're aware of or not I don't know but certainly our understanding of prehistory uh, and, and is changing radically uh, yes. and you know what we thought we were hundred percent sure of even 10 years ago is now completely trashed. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, when the first humans got to uh, the Western Hemisphere, you know, that whole thing, the the Bering Strait, all that, there's like, no way, man, they're finding all these remains in South America that are, you know, 20,000 years old, at least. So
3: Yeah, the cave in Brazil.
1: Yeah, the cave in Brazil. I was just reading about their other caves in Chile, I believe, and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Venezuela, I think they found some stuff. So... The, I, one of the books I want to do down the road is about, you know, this whole thing where Donald Rumsfeld made this this thing about their, the known knowns, the known unknowns, the unknown knowns, you know, that whole mm-hmm. mess that he came up with. The, I want to do a book about the known unknowns, the things that we know. Science doesn't understand and yet nobody ever talks about yes. it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right. So this is one of the things. Like we we waltz around like, oh no, well, the first humans came to North America across the Bering Strait twelve thousand <laughs> years ago, blah, blah, blah. It turns out that's complete bullshit, right? Yeah. You know, or well, fat's really bad for you. It'll raise your cholesterol, like, oh, sorry, you know, after 30 years of, you know, telling people to eat margarine for Christ's sake instead of butter. Oh, well, that's all bullshit, too. Sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's so much bullshit. And the the fact is that a lot of it's bullshit that we know it's bullshit, you know? And there's still, I mean, that's what we argue in Sex at Dawn. A lot of this stuff about, oh, humans are naturally monogamous. Like, come on, man. Mm. Half the scientists who are saying that are cheating on their wives, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway sorry. that's a
0: great idea for the book i, I yeah, love that love yeah. To yeah. i mean we book. explore all kinds of stuff like that on this show right even sex at dawn even though we don't really talk about sex as much on the show the underlying currents and the, the shift from the current paradigm is you know it's it overlaps with all the topics we talk about whether it's like ancient mysteries or ufos or consciousness or psychedelics it's all stuff that is just being kind of ignored by the mainstream
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, you know, that gets us back to hallucinogens, right? That the mainstream is presenting a certain consensus reality. But it's not even really a consensus of the people. It's a consensus of the corporations. And so... You know, that's the the value to me of hallucinogens and travel and any mind expanding experience or discipline is that it helps you see through the bullshit, you know, and yeah. we are surrounded by bullshit. I was thinking, you know, one of the things I'll be writing about in Civilized to Death is, you know, people say, well, yeah, but, you know, in prehistory there, there were dangers and there were... You know, True. I mean, you had to worry about snakes and pumas and, you know, getting uh, infections and what so on and so forth. But in our world, the dangers smile at you and they're sexy women on TV telling you to buy this thing and buy that thing. And they're, you know, innocent children laughing with their mothers telling you to eat this TV dinner or this frozen pizza because it's wonderful and good for you. Bullshit. (laughs) <laughs> is, you know what I mean? Like the dangers in the natural environment look like danger. The dangers yeah. in our environment look like friends. They look mm-hmm. like, you know, innocent, happy, friendly people.
2: And they're actively trying to fool you into thinking they're your friends.
1: Sure. That's what they're paid to do. Right. Like those, those people, you know, oh, I feel so great with my new hip replacement. Well, you don't even have a hip replacement. You're an actor. Right. And so there's no, it's like, you know, I don't know. Don't get me started. Doctors, (laughs) you know, actors playing doctors on TV. Fuck those guys, you know? Oh, yeah.
0: are seeing through it though that's why podcasts like yourselves and and joe rogan and hearing like you three guys uh duncan joe and yourself it's it's attractive to people because it's just real right it's raw and real and there's none of this facade and and sort of fakery or fuckery like joe says
1: Fuckery. Yeah, no, that's a good word. <laughs> I love Fuckery that. afoot. <laughs> it's fuckery afoot, yeah. <laughs> First time I heard him say that, I thought, damn, i got to write that down. Yeah. That's good. It's fuckery afoot. What, to yeah, me? no, I think you're right. I. And honestly, I, I'm kind of um, uh, confused by it all, you know, because, you know, like uh, the reason I started the podcast was that Duncan – you know, I did a mm-hmm. Duncan's and he was like, dude, you got to do a podcast. I was like, ah, fuck, what's up? Po- I don't even know what a podcast is. You know, I've never listened mm-hmm. to a podcast. Anyway, I start doing it and it takes off. And, you know, I felt sort of self-conscious about it because I didn't even know how to use the recorder and how to, you know, slap stuff together on, uh, what is it, GarageBand. And, you know, I'm like mm-hmm. such a, a newbie on this stuff. But I think you're right that the fact that it's not produced yeah, and yeah. slick and you know, like there's this thing, um, uh what's that? There's a science podcast that's super produced. Um is it Radio Lab or something like that? It's mm, I, I don't true. remember what it's called, but it's like the the two guys that their their voices like they cut each other and there's music and then and it's all super tightly produced. I find it impossible to listen to
2: yeah yeah it's like the radio then
1: it's like (laughs) hyper radio it's it's, (laughs) you know it's too it's so it's like i don't know if you guys saw this thing the other like last week somebody wrote an article a, a blog thing about beards and it was a woman and she was joking about how like dudes have ruined the beard because for her beards were all about manliness and, you know, machismo and machismo and all this. And she was like, now like, you know, all these guys have all these beards and they like have beard conditioner and they're, you know, grooming their beards. (laughs) And it's like now beard, like these guys can't change a fucking tire, you know, and they're running around with beards. It's confusing for me. And, uh, (laughs) I mean, it got viewed like, you know, over a million times. Oh, my God. Yeah, it became super viral. And she got all this angry email from people, you know, like, how dare you? All these self-righteous bearded men. (laughs) Uh, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Oh, because of authenticity.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the rawness, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, to me, a beard is like a guy who doesn't give a shit, right? You can't be bothered to shave. You get a beard. That's what happens but like you know if you're gonna like be grooming your beard and waxing your mustache and stuff i don't know that's more work than shaving
3: <laughs> exactly yeah like in the movie you know the hunger games you know with the guys with these fucking detailed beards you know
2: <laughs> so do you look at like podcasts and blogs and things like that is like sometimes i almost look at that as like the start of some sort of a mini revolution you know like neither Graham or myself have cable anymore that's cut off and I, I'm not stuck looking at the commercials anymore and you know thousands and thousands and even millions of people are starting to turn to listening to podcasts and reading you know certain websites on their coffee break and listening to podcasts on their commute instead of the radio and watching YouTube and things like that on the TV do you think that's the do you think that's a step in the right direction or just polluting yeah. it even more
1: well, no, I, th- I think it is, actually, because people can choose, uh, you know, there's much more choice, and generally choice is a good thing if if it's a, an actual legitimate choice, you know, not a choice between a Dodge and a Chrysler, which are the same thing, really. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, if, if there are actual choices. Now, of course, the problem is then you get more polarization. Yeah, right? that's because, what I was going to say. You know, people listen to people they agree with, and so it just reinforces that. Polarization, but you know, I and also I'm I'm hesitant to put too much importance into things like social media because I think you know technology has a way of adapting itself to society in a way that that um, becomes a pressure relief valve. So you know, people write an angry blog or they they send out some nasty tweets or whatever and then they think they've you know made a revolutionary act you know or or i uh get all pissed off and say some shit on my podcast and you know 30 or forty thousand people listen to it and and i could feel like i've actually done something you know Mm -hmm. but i Mm -hmm, haven't really done anything i mean you know i i've i've broadcast an opinion and maybe that motivates some people but if If all that motivates them to do is to then tweet or write their own blog, then nothing really changed, right? It was all just hot air. Yeah, but if
2: one person goes out or two people go out maybe down to a shelter or something that weekend and lend a hand or go and pick up some trash on the side of the highway, that's... Yeah, If
1: that's exactly it. If all this talk eventually becomes actual physical movement... Well, I
0: mean, mean, Joe's talked about that quite a bit, right? He's been open about the shock that he's got with all the people that have emailed him talking about how their lives have changed. Because Joe will talk about yoga and meditation. And you guys will have these chats about kind of non-mainstream healthy activities.
1: Yeah. 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 As long as it's motivating people to actually do things, then it's pretty cool. Here's one. I got an email today, okay, a couple hours ago from a guy says uh since i was 17 i've had the dream to travel and get some perspective before i before i pursue a path in neuroscience or psychology i'm now 20 and next week i'm leaving virginia headed to alaska on my bicycle Mm, wow (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna work in alaska save some money and then fly to asia do you have any tips
2: (laughs) My tip would be to wait a month because it's still pretty (laughs) cold here. Yeah. Well, he's
1: he's leaving from Virginia, so by the time he gets up north, it should be. It'll probably be late summer by then. Who knows? Oh, that he better hurry. I hope he's got a
0: strong ass because you know, first time you get on your bike every season, fucking hurts.
1: Especially if you're riding across the continent, right? And that's (laughs) yeah, that's pretty heady. But anyway, yeah, it's very cool to to hear people who you know, get motivated and actually get out and do stuff.
0: Hey, I got a question, Chris, about, uh, it is about your book, sex at dawn, kind of, but I, I, mean, things have changed since I, since I grew up, I'm only like 43 and the women, uh, when we grew up, were are quite different than the women nowadays. Like they seem to be overtly expressing themselves, like their sexuality, their sensuality. Like you've got these, this phenomenon like chive where, you know, thousands of women are posting selfies of themselves in you know, skimpy or barely any attire at all for anyone to see. Like, do you think that this whole uh, hmm, rev, rev, almost a revolution in, in women's sexuality is is culturally based, like pop culturally based, or do you think it's just because it's about time women have the freedom to do so?
1: Well, it's probably a combination of both those things with, um, porn thrown in. Right. Mm. You know, I think porn. And the uh, internet by default. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So easily accessible porn, which is, you know, impossible without the internet, um, and the ease of, of, you know, everybody's got a phone. I mean, you know, I'm 10 years older than, than you, but I, I mean, I remember buying, you know, you had to like buy a polaroid camera in order to take nasty pictures of your girlfriend because otherwise you'd have to take the film to be developed and uh, like (laughs) her place you know (laughs) get you arrested or end up with pictures of your girlfriend and now it's like everybody's got the phone you can do whatever you want snapchat boom 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 it's like all right there so There's accessibility is a big part of it, but also I think cultural changes. And yeah, I mean, women, let's face it, like there is a natural exuberance to sexuality, male and female, that in certainly in the case of female sexuality has been viciously repressed for millennia. Yeah, yeah. So it's pretty Mm -hmm. cool to see that pressure. You know, you take the lid off that and boom, things are going to start happening. Mm hmm. You know, what was, what did you say The chive was this? I've never oh, heard of
0: this. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, uh, I don't even know what it is. It's like a phone app or a website and uh, thousands of, of women and they, all kinds of pictures get put up on there every day. And it's just really easy for people to, to look at. Oh,
1: dude, yeah. You got to send me the link after the podcast. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Cause, Cause I just, I I, while we're talking, I just, uh, went to chive.com and it's a bunch of flowers.
0: So. Oh, yeah, no, that's not it. No. <laughs> that's weird. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll send you the link. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, It truly seems like a phenomenon to me because what it is is it's just regular women, right? Right. Just that just get all uh, crazy about taking pictures of themselves and posting it for everybody. And it just seems like that wouldn't have happened, you know, even if the I don't know, even if the technology was there, it just seems like such an amazing phenomenon to me.
1: Well, where did you grow up?
0: In Canada, Vancouver,
1: uh, yeah. Yeah. BC. Yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, that's one of the the big differences uh, between North America and Spain that I noticed is Mm -hmm. that um, women in Spain are much more uh, in touch with the fact that they like men to desire them. Right, right. Uh, You know, so it's like... In Spain, it's not. And this is something that it's weird being back in North America now, because in Spain, you see a sexy woman like, yeah, you're going to check her out and she knows it and she likes it, you know, (laughs) and as long as you're not an asshole about it, there's no no harm. Nobody's everybody just feels better at the end of the experience, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Whereas in North America, like, wow, you check out a woman and, you know, wow, you're like that can be seen as abusive or aggressive or, you know, can create all this bad feeling in Spain. It's just like, wow, okay, yeah, she's sexy. You notice she notices that you notice everybody's happy. It's cool. Speaking
2: of Spain, I was wondering, um, because like. Oh, it was like only a few years ago, you were, you were, you know, leading a normal life as an English teacher in Spain. How, how crazy has that been going, you know, from that to a best-selling author to kind of now being free to kind of live life on your own terms?
1: Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been very interesting. Definitely an interesting ride. Um, although, you know, interesting, what you said there at the end, free to live your life on yeah, your own terms. Yeah. It's like I was doing that before. And so <laughs> oh, in yeah. some ways it's less on my own terms now. Ah, yeah. Mm. You know, I work a lot more now than I did, you know, five years ago or whatever. Um And so, you know, and I spend more time thinking about money and, you know, I went from like being essentially off the grid my entire adult life to now, I've got I don't know three agents and two accountants and you know it's like taxes. It's a mess and like I all this bullshit I have to think about right, all right, the time. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and and I miss you know it's as you say it's great and and yeah I definitely feel lucky and you know I wrote one book and it was a bestseller and you know like wow people are interested and. It's definitely opened up a lot of opportunities that, that are really great. But in terms of quality of life, it's I would have to say it's kind of a wash. Mm-hmm. You know, some things are better and some things are worse. Some things are easier and some things are harder. I don't really think, you know, aside from, from really obvious, clear things like, you know, going from starving to having enough food, you know, or just sleeping in the rain to having a, a warm place with a roof, you know, very simple, solid things like that. Other stuff, I think, kind of adds up to nothing, you know. At least that's been my experience. Yeah, all,
0: all those external things really don't mean as much in, as long as you have the basic needs met.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. I one mean, One thing that would be kind of a, a clear note for one there is that uh I guess the most valuable thing you could really achieve is if you could get your time, all of your time truly to yourself to spend as you want. And I well, guess that's, that's something that's you kind it. of had when you were when you were traveling.
1: <laughs> exactly. Mm. Exactly. I, I had that. So uh and I've got less free time now. So I yeah, it's kind of it's kind of fucked up in some ways. But um you know I think the other thing that's really important is doing work that is meaningful for you. So Mm -hmm. I feel like the thing that I've got now that I didn't have then, that's really important to me is that I'm doing something that I give a shit about, you know, five years ago I was teaching English to doctors and, and helping them publish their research and stuff like that. And that was fun because I really liked the people I was working with, you know, and I had the freedom to choose who I wanted to work with. But I didn't really give a shit. You know, yeah. I, I don't give a shit about grammar, you know, like present continuous <laughs> versus past perfect. Like who the <laughs> fuck cares? You know, I don't. But... um you know, and, and so the meaning of being able to do something meaningful, especially in the latter part of your life, I think is great. Mm-hmm. When I was younger, I got meaning from travel. I felt really fulfilled by that. And, um, you know, and then I started, I guess, when I w- was working on the book and my Ph.D. and thinking about things, I was sort of feeling like, well, you know, I had a lot of fun traveling, but I'm tired of doing that. It's not as fulfilling anymore. And, uh, I've got to find something, you know, meaningful that I can do for the rest of my life. So I feel really lucky that, that the book worked out and people are paying me to write another one. And if that's successful, then, you know, I guess I'll be set to write as long as I want.
0: Cool. Was that a, was that a bit of a, a shock, the success of your book or did you have real high hopes for it?
1: Um, you know, I, it A little of both. It, it's like I felt when I was writing my dissertation and I was challenging this Darwinian vision of human sexual evolution in my dissertation, I got deep enough into it that I felt like if I'm right about this, that could be a really interesting book because mm-hmm. it would really, it would be a radical enough Argument that it would attract attention. If I could, like, just get a little brush fire going, it would spread, you know? Right, right. Yeah. And, but I knew that getting the attention of agents and editors and publishers and, you know, getting that whole world is such a, a difficult thing to get into that I really never had high hopes that anything would come of it. Hmm. And, the key to to the whole thing happening was really meeting Casilda and uh, I met her when I was in graduate school and I was actually Stanley uh, introduced me to Casilda. That's, you know, another thing I have to thank Stanley for. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, we got together, she's a psychiatrist, she was running a mental hospital and, you know, making plenty of money and she had a private practice and all that. And, she's the one who said, look, write that book. Cause it's going to be important. People are going to read it. Our, our, it's going to change our lives. It's going to change everyone. It's going to be, and you know, and I'm like, okay, you know, this woman loves me. So, you know, <laughs> her and my mom both think it's a great idea. <laughs> um, but she, she really pushed and, you know, and not only pushed and encouraged me, but she also paid the bills while I was writing the book. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, important material support there, and she always she felt like you know, and she always said like, "This is going to hit. You'll see. This is really going to be big." And well, she was right. So yeah, it's so it's weird. I mean, I always said, "Oh, come on, you know, it's a million to one. Anyone will even publish it." But but I did feel like if it got out there and somebody saw it, like, and in this case, it was Dan Savage. Once he got the ball rolling, then I knew it was, I felt like it was something that could really um, connect and touch a nerve. So, Hmm. yeah, I mean, you know, and and again, I think in a way, this gets back to the first question you asked about hallucinogens. I think hallucinogens, at least for me, gave me a perspective where I could sort of step back from society and see what's going on 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 a macro level, you know? Um, In ways, hallucinogens and travel and all these other things that distance you a little bit and give you that distant perspective where you can see larger movements that are happening, structural kind of changes. And I think for someone who's trying to write a book, that's an important thing to have.
0: Yeah. And that Sex at Dawn was definitely more about sex, too. It surprised me a little bit about um, it totally gave me a different perspective on some of our ancient cultures and kind of more respect for, for the contentness they might've had or like, yeah, it's, it's very good.
1: Well, thank you. Glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. I can't
2: wait till the next one. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> speaking, speaking it's great. Of- Every once in a while I get an email from somebody <laughs> like, I don't even know somebody just saying, Hey man, I love the podcast, but write that fucking book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I think by now you should change the title to Chinese Democracy. <laughs> you know, like Axel Rose who uh, uh, spent 25 years to 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 release the record Chinese Democracy after the the, the end of Guns and Roses, and it became some some, some something of a uh, legend in the music world.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. I I don't know, man. I I was I had a meeting with my editor a few months ago. And I started to give him excuses for why it was so late. And he just held up his hands and he said, look, Chris, you know, uh, some writers need me to pretend I really care about this, but I don't. (laughs) (laughs) I don't (laughs) care
0: about your podcasting.
1: (laughs) No, no. He's like, you know, he said, you know, some some writers can't get anything done unless I pressure them. Right. Yeah. Right. But he's, he was my editor for Sex at Dawn, so we've worked together, you know, in the past. And he said, I know you don't need that. You know, I know you, you want to write it. You need to write it. You'll write it. Just don't worry about it. Don't worry about deadlines. You'll you will get to it. So, yeah, that's... Uh, we'll, we'll wait. It'll be worth the wait. Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, I'm a big, you know, after traveling and, and the whole way I've lived so far that you guys are familiar with, I'm a big believer in... Um, things happening the way they should happen, Mm -hmm. you know, like sex at dawn, uh, getting back to the previous question. Um, you know, when I was writing my dissertation, uh, every time I tried to be playful or funny or add some humor and stuff to the, my dissertation, uh, Stanley and the other people on my committee crossed everything out. And in the margin they wrote, save it for the book. You know, like, don't be cute with us. Just the facts, right? Save the funny stuff <laughs> yeah, for your book. Exactly. And yeah. at, at first I was kind of pissed off, you know, and then I thought, well, okay, maybe they're actually being encouraging, you know. And, uh, you know, and then like, okay, I met Casilda and she was encouraging and like, okay, I should write that book, but things happened in our lives that were, like there was an opportunity to go to Asia for a year. So we went to Asia and backpacked around for a year in Southeast Asia. And the whole time I was thinking I should really be writing that fucking book, you know? <laughs> and then we got back to Spain and we bought an apartment and I was renovating the apartment and I was thinking I should, God damn it. I should be writing that book. Sort of the same thing that's been going on the last couple of years. But the whole time that I was, you know, procrastinating or doing other things, i was gathering more material i was thinking about the ideas and getting deeper and you know more interesting ideas and all that and then when i wrote it and it came out i felt like if i had tried to publish that book two or three years early earlier probably nothing would have happened
2: yeah Mm. Yeah. so it's not procrastination it's percolation
1: yeah yeah exactly (laughs) civilized to death
0: and think about it this way if you wait a little bit longer we're that much closer to the singularity
1: yeah well that's that's the thing i'm worried like there might be a collapse of civilization and my book won't come out you know (laughs) Or it'll, be like, it, or
2: it'll come out like the day before. Yeah. <laughs> so, the ba- so the banners will still be up when, we're, when the zombies are fucking <laughs> roaming
1: around. The last book ever published yeah. Civilized yeah. to Death. Uh, <laughs> q Zombie. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Speaking of which, I have a, one last question, you know, now that we're talking about transhumanism and the singularity, which are uh, topics that are popping more frequently in all sorts of fields, even among us, you know, the team foil hat-wearing <laughs> uh, uh, people who are interested in what is currently, still currently called the paranormal, you know? That it seems that more and more obvious that if all our current wars are indeed overestimated, then the merging of humanity with with technology is a path that we are being inevitably drawn into, just as some form of um, unified world government seems also inevitable in the long run. But just as there's a major difference between the new world order of 1984 from the uh, Federation of Planets that envisioned by someone like Gene Roddenberry in Star Trek. Do you see an alternative to transhumanism than the current wet dream of wealthy billionaire, billionaires who wish to achieve immortality and remain at the helm of the world indefinitely?
1: Whoa.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Take your time.
1: Oh there, Uh... Yeah that that's a big one. Do I see an alternative? Well, the alternative is collapse, right? No. Oh. I mean, that seems to be Yeah, I wrote this article for a German magazine last year. They asked me to write an article about the future of sex. <laughs> and, you know, I said I felt like like civilization is like a river and we're rushing to an island in the center of the river and We're either going to go to the right or to the left, you know, and Mm -hmm. on one side is uh, continuing down the path we're on, which means higher technological sophistication, um, you know, increased social fragmentation, probably like, uh, you know, very sophisticated sex uh, Mm spots, sort of, you know, the Duncan Trussell wet dream. (laughs) (laughs) And on the other side is, you know, my wet dream, which is, uh, you know, a massive reduction in world population followed by uh, back to the earth movement and, you know, rewilding of the species to some extent. Uh, I don't know which way it's going to go, but those are the only two alternatives I can see because I can't see... A return, like next week, Cassie and I are going to this paleo conference in Austin, Texas. I'm going to be talking about paleosexuality. And, you know, much as I love the paleo movement and the idea that the healthiest diet and exercise and all that is, you know, related to pre-agricultural standards, that makes sense to me on an intellectual level. But there's no way that's going to be applicable to 7 billion people. Mm. So... Then on the other side, you've got the increased technological sophistication and centralization and, you know, monitoring of all communications and, you know, the NSA and all that kind of stuff. There's no way that's going to lead to increased freedom and happiness because it never does. You know, it's... I mean, I I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember this, but, you know, I remember the the promises of flying cars and jetpacks and, you know, like, oh, you're going to have, man, you're going to have so much free time in the future because you'll have a machine that washes your dishes and another machine that you can program to cook your dinner and another machine that does this and does that. Well we've got all those machines, but where's the free time? You
3: yeah. That's what just, Dennis, we still have to pay for the fucking machines. Yeah. Dennis yeah. McKenna
2: said it well, when he came to the show, he was like, uh, you know, they made these computers and these, all these machines and told us, you know, it was going to be, we were going to save so much time and what a fucking sham that turned out to be.
1: Exactly. It's, you know, it's just the, the carrot hanging in front of the, the donkey, you know, it just keeps us running on this wheel. And yeah, it's all bullshit. It never it never pans out. And at some point, you know, and maybe this is the point we're at getting back to the earlier conversation where people are looking around and they're saying, man, I've been chasing this fucking carrot, you know, for a long time mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I'm not getting anywhere. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you Except know, further
0: in debt.
2: Meanwhile, I've been dragging exactly.
1: a banana behind me.
2: <laughs> dragging a banana
0: uh, where did that come from the <laughs> hell yeah i don't know like <laughs> the
2: banana well, is like the a past, monkey or like... so you could turn around and go back and eat the banana instead of chasing
3: oh, the carrot
1: i got gotcha. you <laughs> <laughs> i thought that was some perverse sexual yeah. yeah well you do talk about sex a lot right? yeah yeah i'm sorry
2: that's yeah, funny
3: I mean, what well, i know no, uh so- oh go yeah, I mean the reason that I brought this, this up is because I have listened to Joe and Duncan talk about transhumanism and all these great things that are in store for us but I also see that uh, most of the proponents of uh, transhumanism are, uh, you know, the people, the, they have the, the, the guys who have a six-figure, uh, you know, account in the bank, you know, the, the, the guys who support transhumanism because they want to live forever, because they are scared of death. So, but on the, on the other hand, there are people. Uh, there were people like Terence McKenna who were also speaking about these ideas. But I think that he was proposing something different. Maybe something that is not uh, transhumanism, but maybe something that we may call um, transindividualism. Some, some technological achievement that my Uh, help us transcend not only you know uh, our biological limitations but also the limitations of um, egoistic personality as it were
1: yeah well the conference I was at with Stanley where I met Casilda was transpersonal psychology conference Mm. and transpersonal psychology is very much about what you're talking about where it's you know you don't just look at an individual you look at them um you look at the them within systems within families within societies you look at the spiritual um reality of their lives and you know you try to look at you know sort of like those you, i'm sure you guys are familiar with um alex gray you know yeah, his yep. paintings right That's the so artist yep. yeah yeah. Beautiful stuff. And so, you you know, there's a the painting of someone, but it's not just that person. You see what's going on inside them. You see the energy fields around them and, you know, <laughs> intersecting with the other people. So in that sense, I think, you know, what you're talking about or what uh, Terrence McKenna was talking about is is interesting. What What I don't resonate with is this whole you know this whole singularity thing that we're going to escape death by becoming one with technology.
2: Yeah. If we're going to be dicks anyway, what's the point?
1: Yeah, and and it just it feels like all this running away from death is uh, it's running in the wrong direction. You know, it's yeah. it, it's distracting us from from the source of some true wisdom. And I don't know if you guys have ever read Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's classic book called On Death and Dying. But she published it in the 60s and it was one of the first books that openly talked about death uh, and it was a huge bestseller, you know, big, big book. And she talked about the, um, the five stages of grief, mm-hmm. um, which are uh, denial, anger, bargaining, uh, depression and acceptance, and I feel like we as a society are sort of going through those different stages yeah uh, you know, and denial is a shitty way to approach death you know and the the quicker we can get to acceptance, true acceptance not resignation right, mm-hmm. but acceptance that that's part of the package and you know every party ends every You know, every beautiful piece of music comes to a conclusion. Everything that you love has to end. Otherwise, it doesn't exist. There's no getting away from that. No technology is going to solve that conundrum because, you know, that's like, uh, you know, it's like using a flashlight to look for darkness. It just isn't ever going to work. Exactly. So you
0: think we're in denial before we're still not in the bargaining phase yet?
2: Well, maybe the transhumanist is the bargaining phase. Uh-huh.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I've been thinking about it in different ways. You know, you could think of it at a macro level. You know, like maybe the, you know, the ancient Greeks. You know, or different, you know, different the medieval period, and you can locate different things in different areas. But yeah, it seems to me the uh, American uh, system is sort of stuck in this bargaining. Somewhere between bargaining and anger, depending, you know, where you are, that the idea that, you know, greater technology, if we just spend enough money and declare war on cancer, you know, we're going to solve it. We're going to fix everything. And like, you know, it's you know, we're spending I read recently something like 30 percent of the American uh, medical expenditures are spent in the last month or two of life. Wow. That's a huge amount of money. And they're doing fucking hip replacements on 95 year old people. Yeah. Like, are you fucking kidding me? You know? (laughs) Crazy, crazy. So, anyway.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that Richard Nixon, who was the one who launched the war, the current war on drugs, was also the one who launched the current uh, strategy against cancer, you know? and we can see that both both uh, projects have have failed how ironic uh, is that yeah well
2: that he might have he he declared a war on the one thing that you know is making headway in the uh, battling the other
3: yeah
1: yeah right well of course you know that just points to the fact that wars are rarely about what they say they're about right you know so yeah and that includes those two wars those those are just wars just about getting money from the general public to you know selected people the people who run the war enterprise whatever it is big pharma in the case of cancer and i when i was in spain working with these doctors i worked with a lot of oncologists I was doing some research on oncology, and um, yeah, for my I I had an earlier idea for a doctoral dissertation that was going to be about um, psychological profile of doctors who, who, most of whose patients die, right? So I was Mm -hmm. I was researching oncologists and intensive care physicians, and um, anyway, so I spent a lot of time in oncology wards, and what was interesting is the older doctors would tell me in confidence. You know, the the efficacy of the new drugs as compared to the old drugs was exactly the same. <laughs> the only difference was the new drugs cost 500 times more. Wow. And pat- patentable. <laughs> right, exactly. Because yeah. the patents ran out on the old ones, so they came up with some new molecule, charged a shitload more money, and what they did was... Uh, Basically paid off the doctors To prescribe the new drugs Jesus You know Even though the doctors knew That the old drugs worked just as well Sometimes better At a fraction of the cost
2: When you really boil it down It always seems like money Is always at the root Of all fucking evil
1: Yeah Yeah You know the biblical quote Is actually The the quest for money Is at the root of all evil Ah Oh Mm
2: -hmm. yeah That's probably a better way You know it's It's uh, to go back to what we were just talking about there, I was talking about Camden, New Jersey in the beginning. Yeah. And it's like a lot of the things we're talking about just always, I uh, just recently finished listening to uh, the audiobook of 1984 again. And mm-hmm. it's fucking amazing how much shit correlates back and forth to where we're at now. Like in that Camden, New Jersey, they've got like microphones set up all over the city that can pinpoint with triangulation where gunshots come from and they've got video cameras everywhere like it's amazing how fucking spot on orwell was yeah yeah but, interesting guy orwell well chris we know you're a busy man and uh we've kept you longer than we were supposed to already but uh it's been great and uh well, i suppose we should let you get back to uh, your move and everything um, i yeah, just we no, just happy to do it we just moved uh last week my family and in turn our studio which is in my guest bedroom so <laughs> i can feel your pain but uh before we let you go is there anything uh, you want to throw out there to uh, to our listeners that uh, a select couple of dozen maybe haven't heard of you <laughs>
1: Uh, no, no. I think we covered pretty much everything. I, I'm, I'm glad we got a chance to do this. I'm sorry for stringing you guys along so long. No,
0: no. It's all good, man. Thanks for your time, yeah. and, and sorry we kept you, kept you long there. But, uh, you know, we'd love to have you back one day too. Maybe after uh, your book comes out, civilized to death, before the actual collapse happens, maybe we can have <laughs> you
1: on. And- <laughs> all right, that sounds good.
0: our chat with dr christopher ryan or should i say christopher ryan phd yeah i don't think he minds
2: that was our chat with chris ryan (laughs) and it was great fuck no complaints there especially considering we were originally only supposed to go a half an hour and we managed to uh to entice him to stick around for well over an hour or so
0: yeah, I mean, one day I'd like to talk to him more about the Sex of Dawn stuff, but I know he's probably he's probably quite sick of it by now, talking about that. But it really is a fascinating book. Like, there's all kinds of other shit in there I'd love to chat with him about.
2: Yeah, great stuff. Uh, and, of course, we'll link to his podcast, Tangentially Speaking, and all that stuff in the show notes. Definitely check it out. Um, and big thanks to Chris for coming on, uh, for finding the time. In the middle of moving uh, moving house, He he found the time to jump on with us for... We're over an hour out of a schedule, so a big thanks to you know him and all our guests that you know take the time right. out to chat with us. Assholes. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, thanks. Yeah, we really, really appreciate it.
2: And speaking of guests, I suppose we could give you guys a quick rundown of who we got coming up in the next uh, few weeks to a month. Uh, I think next, uh, well, we're working with uh, Steve Volk to maybe sneak him in next week. If that doesn't happen, we've got. Uh, Dr. Amit Goswami coming up on the 29th. Uh, then we're out of town, maybe meeting up with the Open Minds folks down in Phoenix uh, the weekend of the 1st. So we'll be releasing a back episode. I think the meditation one, eh? Yeah. The, in- the in studio meditation one. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then on the 12th, we've got. Uh, hopefully, I can get this right. It's Simon. Uh, Chakoysky, Simon Chakoysky. Uh, of course, we got hooked up with picked up hooked up with him through uh, Inner Traditions. He wrote a couple books, The Five Dharma's and stuff like that. So that'll be a good one. Sweet,
0: that'll be awesome. Yeah, that's
2: right up your alley. Yeah. Then after that, we got Greg Palast.
0: He's this, Who's he though? The Exxon guy. Yeah. He's the Exxon guy. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that.
2: Yeah so after that oh, we'll, uh, we'll have Greg. Pallist, Yo, give me that book then. I uh, read that book. Billionaires and Ballot Bandits and then he's got a documentary I think uh it's either out or it's coming out right away uh Vultures and Vote Rustlers. So he's like one of your those uh like guerrilla reporters. It's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, he's a truth hound, doggedly independent, undaunted by power. His yeah, stories bite.
2: The people over at Booth Media were nice enough to send us a press copy of his new doc. So we're having him on on the 20th, and then after that, I think we've got a guy on cybersecurity.
0: Yeah. The uh, the deep web and cybersecurity, something like that?
2: Yeah, Bill Blunden.
0: So that's going to be kind of scary, actually.
2: Oh, yeah. He's yeah. going to tell us all the things we're doing wrong, for sure. Yeah.
0: yeah. So if you guys have any questions for any of these guys, please email them in or tweet them to Derek. You can spam Graham still. My email is g-r-a-h-a-m at grimerica.com. You can also uh, tweet Darren at, at Grimerica.
2: At Grimerica. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then uh, we're, we've been uh, kind of touch base with uh, Nick Pope. Nick Pope. Uh, Jim Penniston. Jim Penniston and John Burroughs about their new Rendlesham Forest things. So yeah, they got a new be a book on We've so We've never talked about that.
0: No, originally I was going to boycott that because it's one of those sightings like Roswell. But if there's a new book coming out with those guys, it'll be. Uh, we the can get all to the, three
2: of those guys on at the same yeah, time. Awesome. I don't give a fuck what we're talking about. Yeah. So I think that's about it.
0: So yeah, we're chocolate block full for the next like month or two. So get your questions in. Uh, we'd love to hear your feedback.
2: Yeah, review us on iTunes too. I always forget about that. Review us on iTunes if you can. It helps us uh jump up. The more downloads we get, the more the better guests we can get, not better guests but higher profile I guess guests we can get and keep the ball rolling. Yeah. Uh things have been up lately so and uh
0: contribute to the money bomb.
2: Yeah, contribute to the money bomb. See if someone can knock down uh, Gitmo Yoho as our uh, top contributor of all time. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, thanks for listening. As usual, you'll uh, see the links to all the music you heard in the episode in the show notes, as well as all the, uh, the fun stuff we talked about.
0: Thanks again, Chris Ryan, and we'll see you next week, or we'll hear you next week.
2: They'll hear us next week.
1: Das sind doch Kranke. Die Ärzte sollten wissen, dass das keine Kranken sind, sondern Leute, die sich suchen, also auf dem richtigen Wege sind. Wir leben in einem Staat, der Leute bestraft, die auf dem richtigen Wege sind.
2: Ich habe mich gefunden, wir haben mich gefunden. Da lass mich nicht mehr so krachen, mehr so krachen, mehr so krachen, mehr mehr